Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversational Witchcraft with me, Dawn the Kitchen Witch. Make sure that you like and subscribe, you subscribe, because the show is getting so much traction and people are digging it, and you should be the first person to know when new episodes are out. I'm just saying. So today is really exciting because we have an old friend of mine uh, visiting, and I don't mean old as an age. I mean, I've known her for a, a bajillion and a half years. Probably not that much, probably more like a decade and a half, but her name is Fox and she is a nomadic soul animal shaman that helps people reconnect with their authentic selves through the wisdom of the animal kingdom. She's absolutely fantastic. She's also an incredible artist, which she didn't put in her bio. I'm just going to say it out loud. Uh, She's an amazing (laughs) artist. Fox, welcome. I'm so happy to see your face. Hello. I know it's, it has been forever. It has been forever. Uh, I think we determined like what it's been at least a decade since we've seen each other in the same space. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've known each other, gosh, 14, 15 years now. At at least, at least. And and it's funny because um, there are, there is a select handful of people that were kind of like met me at the beginning of Kuchina Aurora Kitchen Witchery, like before that was like my real job. And I was just it was my side hustle. And you were there at my very, very first big convention, which was Fairy Con, which is now defunct, like all these great big shows are, but uh, it, which was in, in Baltimore in 2009. Nine. 2009. And it was my first show too. I remember because I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And a the show. tail. You had a foxtail yeah, on. Well, the tail, the interesting thing about the tail, right, was that was my last, like, at the end of the show, there was a gentleman who was selling foxtails there. And this was before I knew my soul animal was a fox. But he came up to me and he's like, I'd really like to get something from your table. He's like, are you willing to trade? And I said, well, what do you have? And he's like, you can come to my table and look. And I went over there and nothing spoke to me. But when I looked at the foxtails, there was one that I was just like, I need this. I need this. Like, I don't even know. And so I I got it at the end of that show. I got it. And I was like, I held on to it. And like, I still have it to this day. Like every few years I retire them and get another one. I'm working my way up. But like that tale, like spoke to me and I wore it for years at these events um, before the the Fox soul animal work kind of came into play. So yeah. So like your, your little heart knew then that this was such an important thing. There is a photograph of us together from like yes. the 2010 or 2011 fairy con or mystic con, whatever they called it. it. Was, yeah. The spring mystic one, mystic, one of those something. things. Yeah. There's a picture of us together in front of the Kuchina Aurora booth. Mm-hmm. And it's like us, we were both wearing foxtails. So it's our butts. And it's like us looking <laughs> over much. our shoulders. Yeah. Like yeah. we're so cheeky and cute because we're both curvy brunettes. <laughs> And we both had these I little did. foxtails on and uh, my partner was in absolute heaven. He was like, look at all the butt. <laughs> um, so, and, and that, that picture pops up on my personal Facebook page, like every year. Cause I guess oh. it's gotten a lot of likes and it's like, people, I mean, look at these butts. So I mean, yeah. it's, but it is crazy. And I, I remember, oh God. Okay. So your art I say your art, but it's sculpture. And you were at that time, you were sculpting these. Un- and I don't know if you still are. It's these unbelievable, like I do still sculpt. Yeah, they creatures that were like part rabbit, part fairy, and you put them in these little terrariums and like jars and breathtakingly beautiful and so 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 magical. And again, like I feel like I was in such a different place in my life then um, that like if I could like if I saw you now I'd be like I'm just gonna just take everything off of I'm just gonna buy everything here's here's a thousand dollars I'm just gonna buy everything on your table Um, I appreciate I appreciate on so you are still doing art you're doing yeah I still do art yeah I still do sculpture in fact actually this during COVID I was hired to do uh, special effects makeup and um, design for a smaller film that was filmed down in South Carolina um, that just released back sometime a couple months ago on Amazon. It's called Black Balsam. But like me and my friend, uh, who's also a fox animal soul, uh, he uh, he and I were hired on to do that. And, and so I got to put my art into that. Um, 
which was kind of a different different avenue for me but i got to sculpt this um Oh gosh, I wish I could like dig her out of a box. I've got her head in the bo- in a box in the back. <laughs> it's her head in a box. Yeah, so it was the this character's like dead mother that he had like stuffed. It, it's obviously like a drama, whatever thing. But I like, certainly doesn't. No, it sounds like a like comedy old- romance. It's a romance. <laughs> Totally is. It felt like it while filming. Um, but um, but yeah, no. So I got to put my my skills to to work to sculpt like this this woman, this old woman that like wasn't a real woman. So that was kind of cool to be able to do. Um, plus the the special effects makeup. So my my art kind of bleeds into that. Um, I did. Gosh, to catch up over the last decade. Seriously, and a half. I haven't uh, seen you in person in about a decade. So like. <laughs> When right, I, so when we knew each other in on the show circuit, as you will, um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm the kitchen witch, and you're the artist, and you're doing all these amazing, you know, three dimensional art pieces, yeah, um, and and then here you are as this, you know, soul animal teacher <laughs> healer. <laughs> you know, reader person traveling the world, um, and, and learning about all that stuff. So like what in the world to then hear about like this? Yeah. So so cool. the, the special effects gig came from my working with the combat trauma training military work that I did for a little while. Um, so I was pulled on to use special effects to help train soldiers to get ready to go into combat simulation or combat actual, like, experiences. So that was kind of how I got that gig, like it paralleled with that. But I got pulled onto the team for that because of my sculpting ability. So I could actually sculpt wounds and things like that. So my veterinary training came in handy, because I knew what to like work with. Um, So that I was doing that for a little while. Yeah. And then in all of that, so in the time that you met me, all the way till now, um, I was also working because that was kind of my side gigs too. Um, even my art was kind of a side hustle, even though it took up a lot of my at home time, it was still side hustle because I would, I would wait for the events to come around. Right. Right. Um, but in that time I started working at a metaphysical store, um, and I was working with a lot of healers and readers. And, you know, of course, when you're in that kind of environment, as you know, um, you start to learn about things. And so when one of the things that came up was that everybody's intuitive at some point in your life, like if you can learn how to tap into that, like you can open up a lot for yourself. And so animals have always made sense to me. And so that's where that part came in. And so since about 2011 was when I like started to realize I was doing that. So that's been growing um, and has become my main like focus, but I still incorporate the art in like the things that I do on the side. So I'm kind of still wearing a lot of different hats, um, but, but it all, yeah. it all incorporates your magical practices. Now, would you say you define yourself as a soul animal shaman? That is yes. how you define yourself. Yes. And I know there are people don't fucking write me letters about <laughs> what the word shaman means. Yes. Right. Yes. And there are people that have very strong opinions there are cultures Absolutely. that have very strong opinions and and that's perfectly acceptable. We're of not course. talking about any of that. We're talking about you and what this this means for you and your own personal practice. Yes. About I actually had practice. I actually had an aversion to the title shaman myself for a long time, mostly because again, it was so stigmatized, if you will, like, you know, the word shaman actually comes from uh, Asia. So that's where it originated. And the idea behind a shaman, it's any person who is a part of a tribe or a community that offers a connection from the living realm, the, the realm of the physical to the spiritual realm, whatever that is and then mm-hmm. throughout the years it's trickled in and out of different um languages and different practices and different cultures so nowadays in in most metaphysical circles when somebody says shaman they automatically think south american shamanism because that seems to be the most popular form of using that word but it actually originates from asia um northern asia But yeah, the reason why I finally settled into shaman was because it was the best word to describe what it is that I'm actually doing for people and doing for myself too. But I I had an aversion to it a long time. It was only, 
about a year and a half ago where I finally like leaned into it. And I Mm -hmm. started to understand that, yeah, actually what I am doing is that, but it became difficult because people are just like, Oh, well, where's your tribe? Who is Mm -hmm. your tribe? Where do you come from? Mm -hmm. What is your history? Like Mm -hmm. who trained you? These were things that came up a lot and they still do. And so I, I graciously hold space to talk to people about why I chose to call myself shaman, why I finally leaned into it through a lot of my own personal metaphysical spiritual work. And for the most part, people have been pretty gracious about it, but I'm not going to ever tell somebody that they have to be okay with something. You know, if they're not okay with it, they're not okay with it. But what I believe is that we are all people of earth and growing up overseas, living in a lot of different cultures uh, or in a lot of different countries and coming from a multitude of cultures myself in my own bloodline. You know, I feel like, you know, to be able to be a child of this planet and apply all of my experiences through my spiritual practice, the right people are going to find me because I'm the right person for them too, you know? Agreed. So agreed. And, and I love this idea of, that you're taking this word and you're using it for yourself to describe the job you do which is facilitate connection between one realm and the other. You're not taking ownership and saying, uh, I am a leader of a tribe or I am from this Mm -hmm. particular background. You're saying, I'm using this as a word that describes my job. And my job is connecting people between one realm and the next. And I think that's a very smart and a sensitive approach to a word that might be sensitive for other people. And I also think it describes what you're doing perfectly. And I'm really glad that you're feeling comfortable in that and that you can describe that because people need facilitators. And let's be fair. You're not going to say I'm a soul animal facilitator. That's yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't have know. a ring. It doesn't look good on a business yeah, card. I mean, I tried for the longest time, soul animal reader, um, but I just felt like reader just didn't fit either, you know? So I was like, yes, that's what I do. I read people's animals, but I didn't feel like reader was encompassing enough in that, you know, like I felt like it was very much like, well, this is what it is and that's it, but it's become much more guidance um, oriented. Like, yes, I connect people to aspects of their soul signature through the animal that represents that, but I'm also helping them, or coaching them even through their communication, their relationships, their career, their pathways, their, their, their healing, their inner child work, their traumas, their jubilation. Like I'm coaching them through all of that in this modality. And I feel like that coaching energy is very much what shamans do. Like, and again, broad spectrum shaman, medicine person, healer, woman, whatever you want to call it. That's what they do for people is they help them through their gifts in connecting with source spirit, whatever you want to call it. And then they, they bridge that it's a bridge work. So, you know, yeah. soul animal bridge doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like, good either. Yeah. No. You know, I'm like, and, oh. <laughs> and would you say that your practices, because I don't even know if you're using the, the, the term shaman to describe yourself, right? Yes. Would you describe yourself also as a witch, as a pagan, as a priestess, like what yes. is the foundation, right? Exactly. Yes. In your practice, mm-hmm. are you ex- like, I think most of us are very, very eclectic. Like I say, I'm a yes. teaching witch, but you know, but I, there's, and more. there's so much more. <laughs> and like, I've said it before, like I've got Hecate on my altar next to Ganesha because sometimes I need him to unblock roads for me. But, you know, I also have like, you know, an archangel and you know, like I get them all. Right. And that's the beauty of of being a pagan is that I can have them all. And I just, you know, can channel into whatever tap into whatever energy I need. Would you say that your practice as a soul animal shaman is heavily native American or heavily Mm. neo-pagan or heavily this or that? I would not at all. heavily intuitive based Mm. on where I'm at in the moment. Like I love information. I'm sure you're the same, like the collection of books and the, the amount of, of research and the absorption of information that you can get on a rainy afternoon is, is profound. Right. Um, but like for me, I, I let spirit talk to me, you know? And what I mean by that is I look for, that language, that dialogue that I'm having. So like for me, animals are obviously a big part of that, but I don't discount um, 
you know, gods, like the deities. Uh, I don't discount colors, themes, you know, I'm, I'm paying attention to the stars. If astrology stuff pops up on my page, I'm paying attention because I believe that everything is, is a communication with the all, if you will. So like to, to just label it one thing, it, it's tough to, as, as you just said, but, um, I think it would be more nature based. Um, so if, if I had to title it, uh, <laughs> I don't have a word. You, you don't have to. I was <laughs> yeah. just really just wondering yeah. because you don't see a ton of animal spirit work in no. European pagan or European witchcraft. No. Um, you don't see it in, in, in a lot of spaces, but you do see it in, um, you know, you do see it in native American culture. You do see it yeah. in some, like you said, South American, um, at least in, in my experience, and I am not in any way, shape or form worldly in other practices, but my own. Um, so, so I was curious about it because so many of us that identify as witches and pagans have such a strong connection. You know, part of what is so powerful to us is that connection to nature. And we use nature yes. as a blanket term, but we don't necessarily uh, carve out, you know, um, animals being separate from general yes. nature. Um, I, and they are. Yeah. I would say that. Okay. So you and I met at fairy con and at that time I was really exploring nature through folklore. I was looking at a lot of cultures who did connect with the unseen realm. Right. And I feel like there, there's a lot of data to collect from stories from around the world in that way because the fae in a lot of different cultures have that connection to the earth they have that connection to the elements in the same way that animals navigate the physical realm with those 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 concepts or those themes right yeah. so i feel like it was just par for the course with my background and and passion for animals and understanding them from an early age then going into veterinary technician school and then kind of segueing through this to, to blend all of that. So if I were to say, I mean, I'm very nature based in the sense that I'm having a communication with nature in my practice. However, you know, like if certain, certain themes come up, uh, through deities, um, like I said, that'll, that'll be a thing that, that comes into, I work with, um, you know, and you're right that not a lot of cultures incorporate animals in a very specific way. In fact, not a lot of native American cultures incorporate animals in the way that we might think mm -hmm. oftentimes, like I, I have a friend who's a uh, Lakota and he was explaining to me that the Lakota people actually don't have animal totems. Like that's, it's kind of a misconception that all native Americans are connecting in that way. The mm -hmm. Lakota people actually have um, animals that represent the various like tribes, like the different groups. And when they come together, it creates a whole, like a whole mm -hmm. ecosystem. So wow. I found that very interesting, but there are other tribes who do work more with animals. And if you go into like uh, Australia and talk to some of the Aboriginal people, like they're connected to the land because they're in it more. And mm -hmm. I feel like cultures that are very integrated with the land and have to be a lot more hyper aware of the things that could harm them or benefit them in those spaces tend to have closer relationships with animals because they kind of can't avoid it, you know? Absolutely. But with my, my gift, what I was, I was finding was a lot of early on at the very beginning when this opened up for me, I struggled because I would read up on spirit animals and I would read up about people who were doing that work. But what was happening was I would read, like, for example, there's some great books out there, Ted Andrews, Animal mm, yes. Farmers, Spirit Animal Guides, like those books are phenomenal, right? But when I would read them, it would say things like bear. And I'm like, yeah, but what kind of bear? Or it would say elephant. And I'd say, well, what kind of elephant? And then it would say pigeon. And I'd say, what kind of pigeon? Right. You know, like not all eagles are created equal, <laughs> like not, right. not because of their environments change. And that's what I was seeing. I was seeing very specific animals. You know, a person would come up to me and I'd be like, you're a star-nosed mole. Like, and you look, you open up the book and it's like, there's nothing in there. Like every standard right. card deck doesn't have anything like that. So I started to really 
I guess, postulate on what it was that I was doing um, and what I was actually picking up on. And that's when I developed my theory that it's a soul animal, not a spirit animal guide. So it's the animal that represents the person. It's an unchanging energy, um, a mascot, if you will, for that person. And so that's where it started to kind of be the same tree, but different branch um, Mm -hmm. in my practice. And I met a really... um, Great shaman, uh, Shaman Omar. I don't know if you've ever come across his stuff, but he travels around the world and holds a lot of healing circles and his modality is more South American. And when we first met, um, he kind of dismissed me. Somebody introduced me to him and, and they were like, Oh, she does soul animal work. And he was like, Yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, right? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And I don't think he's, he's a bad person. I right. just think that. You know, and he explained himself afterwards. He said, you know, in the work that he does, there's so many people out there who are like, oh, yeah, no, I do spirit animal stuff. But they were very blanketed statements like, oh, this animal represents this, but there was no depth to it. So he thought that that was kind of where I was coming from. But when I told him he was a Goliath bird eating spider, he was like, wait a second, what? Come back. You know, (laughs) so, you know, it's it's. And and then like uh, the thing that actually turned his head was the person who introduced me, her soul animal is a chicken. And when he heard that, he was like, wait, what? You know, so usually people get taken aback because they're thinking, oh, I'm going to be a jaguar. I'm going to be a lion. I'm going to be a bear, an eagle, a wolf. Right. And while those are really cool animals, there's a lot of other animals out there that are also equally cool. And, <laughs> and, know? and you know, the thing about soul animal or spirit animal is that they are equally important Mm. right so like yeah it's so cool i'm i'm a bear i'm i'm a this i'm that. well guess what uh that bear can't survive without ladybugs Mm -hmm. or bumblebees because the bumblebee is pollinating and making honey and doing all these things so that the rest of the ecosystem can thrive so it might not be the cool thing but it's the thing that may be keeping someone else alive. And that might be what your soul's calling is. Is that kind of how soul animals present? Yes. So I think of energy like an ecosystem, right? So in the unseen, everything that is making it possible for us to engage, but also the, the unseen realm is energy, right? Energy is manifested in different ways around us and uh, in, in the in-between as well, right? So it's an ecosystem and that ecosystem, just like nature, demands balance. Balance is achieved when all the animals are pulling their weight. Mm -hmm. When there is an animal who is sick, uh, not pulling their weight, being um, antagonistic to their own energy, nature has a way of creating a chaotic element that will remove said problem. And so what happens is, is the, the foundations of what I do is that I empower people with the understanding of their energetic signature and almost purpose, not purpose like, like, you know, you're here on earth to like make people laugh type purpose, but like kind of like a, an energetic vibration that you have as you move through. So for example, cats, um, all cats, whether the big cats or little cats, all cats represent some form of autonomy, independence, and they teach that differently from cat to cat. So the way an African lion who prides teaches independence is understanding your role in an autonomous fashion within a synchronized group. Whereas a house cat, like a domestic short hair, they're going to teach it more on an individual level. And like in terms of boundaries and interpersonal boundaries within like a family home, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of like Bastet versus Sekhmet, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if people listening understand like ancient Egyptian goddess, like those are the two dualities of the same lesson. So I help empower people with that. And then from there, we build outward. So we understand that the very first energetic ecosystem they were part of is the family that they were born to. And now you know why your family called for you. You know your animal. You know what they struggled with or what they needed to balance out that ecosystem. Wow, come on. But. Come on. You're blowing my mind right now, okay? (laughs) Like, okay. Can I just take a second with that? Because, you know, obviously... I'm here. I'm listening to you talking just like everybody else is listening to this and going, Oh fuck, what am I? And, and, and as you're talking about this going, Oh, why, why was I put in this family and Holy shit, am I the cat? You know, like that's, that's where my brain is. Right. That's 
spectacularly mm-hmm. interesting and on the point of cats, just because I love my kitties. I've recently had that kind of realization in the last, you know, maybe year or so about mm-hmm. how good cats are at exemplifying consent. Yes. And boundaries. And mm-hmm. you know, there are people that feel like, oh, you know, cats are snobbish because they don't want you all over them all the time and not to get on my soapbox, but I'm like, girl, she don't have to love you all the time. Okay. She can be like, um, no, you only get to touch me when I say you get to touch me. Uh And I think that is a a very important lesson that we could all learn from the common house cat. Um, Well, and just think about it. And then I digress back to you. Oh, no, 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 no. But I, but think about that too. So when we think of a crazy cat lady, like describe that woman, right? So she's usually like on, on the average, you're pointing to yourself. I'm like, you're not that crazy of a cat. You don't know. You're crazy. You're like, you don't don't know me. You don't know. You don't, you don't don't know me. I'm obsessed (laughs) with my cats. I love them in the, in, in like almost it's too like unhealthy. Yeah. Like I, I miss them when I leave the house. Um, I come home and I'm like, Oh, did your baby is the mistress. It's, it's, but it's different <laughs> because the cats I had before these cats, Luna was a calico and she was a hundred percent my familiar. And when you're done yeah. talking about this, I want to get your opinion on familiars versus soul animals. Yes. Um, but the the boys that we have now, the, you know, listen, they're COVID babies. We adopted them during COVID. They were actually, as we're having this interview, today is their gotcha day. So they were this big as size of my hand, two pounds. Um, and, you know, we were home with them 24 seven for like two years. So we have a very, very unhealthy Codependent <laughs> relationship with these chonky twenty pound black cats. I mean, um, I'm that's <laughs> a chonky. Um, but no, I am a crazy cat lady, uh, and I could easily, I could easily see myself down that spiral of <laughs> sitting home with a cup of tea and tons of magazines, just reading magazines, drinking tea with like fourteen cats laying on me, and I could be. I mean, fair. I think I could do that too. I don't have any pets right now or, or friends or family, little fur families around me, but I could very easily see that happening for myself because I do love cats as well. But like the whole idea behind crazy cat lady and how cats actually tie into uh, witches, and then I'll kind of go into the familiar part of it, right? Um, You know where the term spinster actually comes from, right? Yeah, isn't it um, a, a woman who was so good at um, spinning yarn that she didn't need a man, a man. to support yep. her? Yes. Well, to get yarn, yarn usually came from wool and you would have to have barns, right? And live on the outskirts of town where people couldn't bother you so much because you were a single woman. And so oftentimes they would employ cats to keep the mice at bay in their barns. And so oftentimes women who were out there doing their own thing, making their own medicine, making their own money, they had all these cats everywhere to help them, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how they cats went into that witch uh, motif, if you will, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and that that was where some of that came in. The animal that actually was most associated with witches in the beginning was actually hares. Hares were believed to be witches who could change back and forth. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then, but when, when the time came to start like pointing fingers, (laughs) we're not going to get into the politics of that, but when it came time to point fingers, there were also other animals who were present like goats and cats and, (laughs) you know, other farm animals that suddenly became synonymous with the evils of witchcraft, you know? That um, bitch, so- she could think for herself and make her own money. <laughs> exactly. You better burn the hell out of her. She's going to run your town. <laughs> exactly. You That's know? exactly kind of where that came it, from. It, it, it makes so much sense because, you know, witches have been associated with certain kinds of animals and witchcraft has been associated yes. with 
certain kind of animals. And that's very, very interesting. I knew about the spinster part. I didn't yeah. know about the barn cat. That's, that's kind of where, where that, that started to, to mold and mesh in. Yeah. So, you know, when we think about the symbolism of animals at one point in Europe, I think that they were doing a lot more with animals back then. But then when politics came through and fear came through like, like wildfire through Europe, <laughs> that's where some of the animal symbolism got lost and certain animals started being seen as evil or mm-hmm. undesirable. And then that's where like the, the unlucky black cat thing came through and all like all of that was was a a, a, I guess a segue from that fear right but when we talk about familiars so familiars are either spirit animals animals in the spirit realm who show up to help you during in your spiritual practice or actual physical animals like your kitty from before right who show up to be there for you so these are these are animals that I, I call spirit animals. They are animals that show up in physical form, in the non-physical form, in the dream form, in uh, guided meditation form. It's the universe being able to help you in some way through this animal who's presenting itself in the various forms. So that's a spirit animal guide or a spirit animal friend or a familiar that comes through. And sometimes they stay constant, like certain familiars will. And sometimes they change out. But your soul animal, the difference is that that's the animal that represents your your life force. So that that's the constant. So if we, we go in and delve into um, past life work and future life mm-hmm. work, like we think about what's the constant between this life and the last life, it's the life force, the, the energy signature. So in my past life, theoretically speaking, I would have been a red fox. And in my future life, I'm going to be a red fox. So that that's the that's the constant, the ship changes, mm-hmm. the pilot moves from the ship to ship, you know, that's my working theory to help people understand why, when they go to see a past life regressionist, that's that's why that lifetime is affecting this lifetime because in that lifetime your energy was encountering whatever it was encountering through those lessons that that animal wow. brings to the table and wow. then you know that, that's the differentiation so that's that's where i say okay it's the same tree different branch and that's yeah. how our soul animals can be guide animals for other people but our soul animal is us it's the baseline read so that's fucking fascinating um <laughs> And, and I, I would guess that people and and I not to go on another not to go on that tangent because I have a question, um, but I would guess that people might use this term soul animal. They might mix that up with totem animal, meaning like yes. that's the spirit uh, or spirit animal, meaning the one in which you were born with that comes with you. Right. Yes. OK, so so just just for my own brain and go okay that's what we're talking yeah. about but i i definitely like soul animal better because it 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 speaks so much more to what it truly is so my yeah. question is this as you said your familiar may show up in a physical form to mm-hmm. help basically be your companion right yeah. for a period of time for however yeah. long they they are here and most witches are like oh my my cat is my familiar and that makes sense and I've had conversations with other people about cats as their familiars and, you know, and saying, well, how can you tell? And going, yeah, well, I know that Luna, my calico, that she was my familiar. Like she would do magic work with me. When I got that yes. book deal for my first book, she had just been diagnosed with cancer. And I was like, listen, girl, I can't do this without you. So you better, mm-hmm. you better hold the hell out. And I, I'll be damned. She passed like two days after I sent my manuscript in, like she was, she was with me until the end. Um, But my question is if we have a soul animal Mm -hmm. and then we have a a familiar or, or some kind of a guide that shows up Mm -hmm. and these two energies be predator and prey. Can they they be at odds with each other? You know, like, can one be a fish and one be a cat? Like, you know, one be a bear and one be something a bear would eat, which I can't, a salmon? Like, what is salmon? Yeah. Right. I mean, yes, I I think so. And how would that work? (laughs) Okay. So this ties in. I actually had a session this morning and I was explaining um, to a harpy eagle about like how harpy eagles go and they hunt sloths, right? And so she was asking, she was like, so could I never get along with a person who carries a sloth energy or could, will I have an issue with that? And the reason why she asked this was because I have a, another person that I read years ago who 
she's actually a, a four winds South American shaman who came to my workshop and um, she's a sloth energy. She's a, a three toed sloth. And she said, what, do, what hunts them? I said, the harpy Eagle. And she goes, wait a second. Is that that big gray bird with like the feathers on top? I said, yeah, she goes, when I went, she said years before she even found out any of this, right. She went to the San Diego zoo and she said, there's only ever been one animal who, she felt so uncomfortable and, un, and and not at ease. And it was when she went to go look at the harpy eagle there. And she said, like, she just got this sick feeling and she had to leave the space. Wow. And to this day, like, she just has this, like, aversion to it. And so I had told this harpy eagle um, soul about this today. And she's like, so I wouldn't get along with that woman. I said, no, I think you can because she may be in a different space. Because here's the thing, predator prey. It's about balance. And in nature, a predator is not going to be able to catch a healthy prey. Like they're just not because that's the whole point. The predator is going to go after the, the weak links, the, the pests, the, the things that are threatening the ecosystem and the future of that ecosystem. Right. So as long as a person is aligned and living in a space of like authenticity right wow. then if they're standing right next to their predator they're going to be okay if the predator is satiated and, and living in a space of like i go and i do what i need to do in my spaces they don't need to eat it's like when you see a lion and a zebra wow. drinking side by side right you can wow. share that space but it has to do with how balanced and healthy your energetic ecosystem is so when people are drawn to their prey or their predator usually there's an indication of something that they need and they might become lessons to one another instead of actually blessings right but Whoa. that's the dynamic that i help people with and that's yeah that's <laughs> it's, Whoa. It's, it's really interesting oh yeah. <laughs> that is i wow that's <laughs> I mean, I, I have no words for that. Like, it just makes so much sense. And, you know, I mean, even within witchcraft, within paganism, within spirituality, awesome, but also like in psychology and yes. energy work and all these things and trying to figure out why people act the way they do, why mm -hmm. they act one way with one person and one way with another person. Absolutely. And there's so many reasons this absolutely could be, and more than likely is that one of those contributing factors, right? You yes. know, we talk about like, oh, Tauruses don't get along with this one and blah, but we don't really break that down into these other Avenues, energy, yeah. these other energy fields. And we have them, we have these yes. other energy fields, right? That just blew my fucking mind wide <laughs> open. Holy shit. Okay. We have to take a break to hear from our amazing sponsors. Absolutely. And when we get back from the break, I want to talk about your travels abroad um, and what you're working on right now, because you're putting together some really cool stuff. So we'll take a break. We'll hear from our amazing sponsors and we'll be right back. Hey, witches. That Witch Life Podcast is hosting their third annual So Moat That Con, a virtual conference on living as a witch in today's world. It's going to be October 14th and 15th. There will be workshops and rituals led by some of today's most incredible witches, including Ama Kayla Gaston, Diana Rachel, Vincent Higginbotham, Martha Kirby Capo, Lulu La Duchess Derriere, and Courtney Weber, and many, 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 many more. It's going to be amazing. Plus, a very special keynote speaker you will not want to miss. Tickets will be going on sale in early September, so be sure to follow That Witch Life Podcast on Instagram and wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out. If you can't make it in person, don't worry. Everything will be recorded and everyone who registers will have access to these fantastic workshops. Don't forget to mark your calendars for So Mote That Con, October 14th and 15th, and follow That Witch Life Podcast to get all the info. You will not want to miss this. Our friends at That Witch Life Podcast are going to make this year's So Mote That Con the best yet. Hey guys, I've just got to tell you all about the Robin's Nests. They're one of my absolute 
favorite shops uh, for everything for my metaphysical and spiritual needs. They've got gifts and crafts and potions and ritual items and books and books and books. Uh, Of course, candles and crystals and ritual wear. So, so many things to help you on your spiritual practice. Um, But what really makes the Robin's Nest special is the owner, Robbie Packard. She does so much to bring community and friendship and openness, welcoming people into her space at the Robin's Nest, but also into this spiritual space of anything, pagan, witchcraft, spiritual, uh, you've just, if you're local to Massachusetts, you've got to go check her out. She's down in Bellingham, Massachusetts. Um, and if you're not local, please check them out online uh, at therobinsnestma.com. She's able to ship all over. She's able to get you what you need. She's available for questions. And of course, they have tons of online uh, workshops and classes and rituals. So really a way for you to connect with a spiritual community uh, right now from your home. Check them out, therobinsnestma.com. And send Robbie a little bit of love from me because when you when you meet her, when you go to her shop, you are going to be transported into a world of loving magic and community growth. We are back with the amazing Fox. And we're talking about soul animals and she's blowing my mind with the whole predator <laughs> prey. So like eco, like you, what did you say? Your, your, your the energetic ecosystem, your energetic ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I like need to have that like tattooed on my forehead, like check your energetic <laughs> ecosystem because it's yes. so true. Everything in balance. Right. And who teaches us that better than animals? Right. Yes. So yeah. we're talking about ecosystems and we're talking about nature and balance. And one of the things that is really prominent in your life is travel. You travel yes. a lot. A lot um, more lately. <laughs> a lot more late. Well, obviously nobody yeah. traveled anywhere during COVID, but you know, you've been to Egypt recently, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's just fucking ginormous. Um <laughs> right. I mean, that's that's a life-changing trip. Um, yes. So so I'm curious about how your travels inform your spiritual work because oh man the geography and topography yeah. and ecosystem and earth and air and water is so different on so so many different parts of the planet and evolution in different parts of the planet with different forms of animals mm-hmm. how does that inform your spiritual practice as a soul animal shaman and and then I have a follow-up question to that. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, so a little back story for those who are listening. Um, I am what's called a third culture kid. So I was born and raised overseas because my father worked for the U.S. government. And so I moved around a lot. At six weeks of age, we left Australia, which is where I was born, and we started moving. And every two to four years, we moved to a new country. So travel's kind of not in my blood, but it definitely is in my programming, <laughs> you know? And so... When I moved here to the East Coast in North Carolina, um, there was a long period of time where I didn't travel. And I think it was because of that that I got cabin fever and suddenly decided in 2019 that I needed, quote unquote, out. I needed to do something. I needed to go somewhere. And I didn't know where to go or what to do. But my father's first post in the Foreign Service years before I was born was uh, Iceland. And I and I grew up with a lot of stories from there. And my father, I think, is is a big part of my more metaphysical spiritual practice now, because um, he had all these books on on aliens and ghosts, and he always watched like you know programs on things like that. And we would get those special edition National Geographic books yeah. that would have like different things like that. And he read me stories about trolls and giants. And you know, I asked him when I was a little girl, I was like do you believe in unicorns? He's like, well, what do you believe? And I said, I believe in unicorns. He goes, then unicorns are real. Like that was his answer. Like he was very like, you know, and I was like, okay, cool. Like for me, it was never a matter of not believing or believing. It was just kind of like, that's how it is. So when it came time to like, quote unquote, get out, I was like, Mm -hmm. I think 
Iceland is the place for me. And it just made sense. So of course, COVID hit in 2020. Um, so my immediate plans to leave didn't happen then. But in 2021, I did go for 10 days. Um, and that I think is a big turning point in my spiritual practice, in my sense of self and what I want for myself moving forward. Mm -hmm. I think that everything building up to that, the art, um, the ability to do the things that I do uh, with my soul animal work, uh, all of that kind of came to a point. And when I was sitting there, first of all, for anybody who's ever been to Iceland, you know, for anybody who hasn't, you will know when you go. <laughs> it's just, it's a surreal place Every bit of magic that you could feel from the earth, I feel like I could feel there. Um, and I knew the place. Like when we got there and I wow. got my camper van and I got in, I just took off. Like I was like, I'm going to the grocery store. I like knew where I was going. And my two other wow. um, groups of friends, they came along too. So there was three camper vans and they just followed me through Iceland because they were like, well, she seems to know where she's going. <laughs> oh like, my God. Go. You know, so if there's such a thing as a soul country, maybe Iceland would that be that for me, but it definitely yeah. changed things. Um, the following year. So last year I went for 21 days on my own and that was really who and wow. to be able to be out in what feels like the middle of nowhere by yourself is both terrifying and deeply liberating awakening. liberating and liberating right and, and like there were moments so the arctic henge which is in a town called Reverhop, which is on on the it's the most northerly town in iceland um is the, it's a it's a modern ode to pagan ways and it does hold a lot of magic and it's on a hilltop called fox hill no way yeah and so like when i got up there this past time i stayed at the campground and what i would do every night is i would set my alarm for around 11 30 when i felt like there would be northern lights i would set my alarm and when i would wake up i'd look out the window for strange clouds and if i saw strange clouds i immediately pulled out my phone set it to the the right iso and all of that and i would take a picture if i saw any green at all i was out i was out there bundled up and i was ready you know Amazing. so i went up to the hill and was up there for a little while with one other photographer and then they left and i was there by myself and then the northern lights came through and i'll tell you it is the most like just tears and just this feeling of like being with the ancestors, with the spirits. But then after a short while, not a short while, I was up there quite a while, but after a little while, like I was up there and I was by myself, the space started to change and I felt like it belonged to somebody else. And I had finally met like the end of my night while like I was up there, but it didn't feel like oppressive in a no. negative way. It was yeah. just kind of like there are others here and it's mm -hmm. their turn. So I just gently like walked down off of the hill and went back to my camper van. I was like, okay, we're done. But like wow. you can feel the earth there. You can feel the spirits. When they say the Icelandic people believe in elves, you can see and feel why. Mm -hmm. And it just it's indescribable. Then comes my trip to Egypt, which that is also a whole other level of energy. One, the ancient Egyptians and animals obviously go hand in hand. Their gods have animal heads. Yeah. And the place where I felt the most zany <laughs> energy was probably Sobek's temple um, in Komombo. So uh, Sobek is the crocodile-headed god. And that temple he shares with Horus. And so Hathor is both of their their wife like so uh sobek is married to hathor and horus is married to hathor she's the um cattle horned goddess she doesn't have a cow-shaped head but she has the horns above her um and in that temple you kind of see like a juxtaposition of the two but they have mummified crocodiles like huge ones in the the museum portion of that that temple Whoa. these temples blow my mind but that specific day we started up in edfu and we went to the temple of horus there when i got there i was i immediately was like overcome with this feeling like i didn't bring anything and there were hundreds of people let me tell you if you're thinking you're going to go to one of these temples and be like there's not going to be anybody no, no it's, it's crazy yeah, yeah, yeah it's insane but like you know you're walking through like like sardines like walking right. through the space but um when i got in there i felt like i didn't bring anything and i felt so like 
unprepared for the energy that I felt in there. And what's cool about the Temple of Horus is that on the right side of the temple, there's a stairway that goes in a spiral, and it's a very shallow spiral. And as you like ascend, it's meant to mimic the the way that falcons like catch a heat draft and slowly go up to the height. And if you were to walk across the top and come down to the other side of the temple, it's a straight shot at the angle that falcons use to attack their prey. So they built it specifically. That's insane. Right? It's so cool. So I walked the spiral up, unfortunately, because of the safety and the integrity of the building, you can't walk across. So I came back down again and then I walked up that, that stairway, um, and then came back down it. And it's just, it's such an interesting feeling. Well, after I did that, I was like, I want to go to the back of the temple. And I did. And there was a big group coming out of a room, but then there was nobody in that room. And as I walked over the threshold, and this is where it gets kind of like questionable about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Right. But as I walked, no one is judging you. (laughs) And if you are, I'm okay with that. Um, (laughs) But like, as I walked through the doorway, I go out and my thumb was bleeding and something I had touched on my bag had like made me bleed. Yeah. 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 And I was like, what on earth? And now I'm standing in this empty room by myself. Bleeding. You best, you best believe what I did with that blood. I put yeah. it right on one of the stones in there. I was like, well, here you go. Yeah. And then suddenly I felt this like calm and I was like, okay, cool. Well, now comes the part with Komombo. So we get back on the Nile cruise boat. We go down to Komombo. We get off to go to the temple of Sobek and Horus. As we're sitting there, as the sun is setting, a falcon flies right over us and is like hovering and then lands in the temple. And so we go in and they have these two rocks to represent both sides. And I'll tell you, for those who are sensitive to energy and yeah. I am not as sensitive as some, but like, I feel it as like little electrical things in my hands. Yeah. When I put my hands on these stones, I was like, what is that? That's wow. crazy. Well, and then we saw thousands and thousands of years yes. of and energy and intention and, and, and spirituality oh. and practice. And then all the people that are coming there. To yes. also participate in the the meanings of these spaces oh, and the and wonder the of this um, unreal. Everything about it, everything about Egypt is just like, it's a whole other game, you know, because you can feel it. You can feel the intention of the people, the ancient people. You can feel how the Nile affected them. Like even just standing in the Nile, because you better believe I got in it. I was like, I'm standing in it. Did you bring Um, some, did you bring some Nile water back with you? No, I did not. I did not. I didn't feel called to. There was a lot of things I I thought I would bring back Mm -hmm. with me, but that is one that I didn't didn't feel called to. Did you bring Um, sand, sand back with you? I brought some stones that I found. I found it's a really beautiful, uh, calcite that was at, um, Hatshepsut's funerary temple, which was really cool. It's this, I I don't even know where did I put it? It's somewhere here in my space, but (laughs) it's this beautiful, um, almost golden calcite, uh, that would have been, one of the elements to um, alabaster. Alabaster is is the stone that they built a lot yep. with, and yep. it was because it captured the light. And the calcite yeah. is what captures the light in alabaster. So I found this like natural piece just sitting in the sand, and I was like, "All right, you're coming home with me." So how do these amazing travels? And and you're going to continue yeah. to travel, right? How yes. does your How does your travel? You know, again, as a child growing up in all these different places, yeah. seeing different ecosystems, seeing different animals. And and now the ones that you're having as an adult, uh, you know, where your brain is now really functioning and going a soul animal and, and, and the practice. Needed, yeah. Right, right. How do these travels and the different parts of the world and the different animals that are found there inform your practice? I, well, gosh, uh, to put it simply, I believe that it helps me understand better the people that I'm working with because I have been where their souls uh, match, if you will. Right. So like, right. Because somebody from, from Nebraska could be a soul animal. That's an animal that's found in Egypt. Yes, And you can now inform on that and not have a vague idea of that animal and where it came from, but you can inform on that from an educated place. Yes. And one of the things I have been toying with, and I don't have it 100% formed just yet, is 
So we know that there's already spiritual tourism, right? Like there's, there's, there's ways that you can sign up. Like there's, if you look in, in England, there's plenty of like pagan retreats and things that you can go to, to have experiences in, in very uh, sacred spaces. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's not a new concept, but I've been really trying to figure out ways to connect people with these spaces during my travels, you know, and, and help them better understand the physical ecosystems that their soul signatures uh, match. Because I watched a video on YouTube, gosh, a while back. And one of the most beautiful things I saw was it was a travel video, very simple. But in the comments, there was a woman who had said, thank you for showing these, because I can't physically travel, my health will not allow for me to ever leave, I can't get on a plane, I can't be in a car. Mm. So to be able to watch people passionately going to these places gives me a sense that like I'm also being able to go to those places and it really stuck with me because I was like oh my gosh like one I don't know that I would I don't know what I would do if I couldn't go you know but like two I was just I was blown away by the fact that this person is able to make those kinds of connections at a distance because of our technologies that offer that. So I've I've just been like really exploring what my options are to bring these things to people and learn because now I know what those temples are like in ancient, like from ancient Egypt, right? I can, I can convey that I can share that I'm blessed in the fact that like I'm aligned to these things that allow me to bring back these stories. And I think that that's part of the nomadic shamanism that I talk about, like being able to take it, because we are one world. People are always asking like, you know, oh, can I, can I use this rock with this rock? I'm like, yeah, we're floating on a planet with all these rocks. Like, right. so far, exactly. we're, okay. we're all of the earth and the earth is us. So, uh, yeah. yes, you know, so, you know, but like to, to bridge that and to connect that in a way that makes sense for people, because I, I feel like too, there's this whole idea that travel and experiences like this are just not accessible. So I've just been really exploring that and, and trying to better understand through my experience experiences, but also through talking to other travelers, how to bridge those things, you know, and the more people I connect with, the the more I learn for myself, and then I can help others with that too. But sure. it's really cool to be able to see some of these animals. And while I was in Egypt, we were coming back from the Nubian village, and um, we were in this like little boat, and uh, we looked over to the bank, and I was just filming the full moon because it was a full moon that night, and like it was just sundown, and there was a fox that ran along the bank, like parallel to our boat, and I lost it. I was like, what are the odds? What are the odds? Well, isn't it funny because you say, what are the odds? But the truth is we are the witches and this is what happens. And yet we're still astounded by the magic and we're still astounded (laughs) by the energy. And like, you're doing all this deep spiritual work and your soul animal is like, hey man, good job. And you're like, oh my God, oh my God, it's it's working. Because... This is an affirmation that you are where you're supposed to be. You're doing the work that you are supposed to do. Yes. Um, Okay. I have a a question that's kind of out there, but I, you brought it up. And so I, I, I want to ask, can mythical creatures be soul animals? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes, they can. Um, And so can animals who are extinct. And so the oh. reason, my reasoning behind that is, uh, first of all, with on the, the the form of creatures of legend, so they carry their energy too. So if I were to say unicorn versus horse, you can kind of differentiate like the tone of that animal. Um, and I really feel that the reason why these animals hold such power is because they've held such power for such a long time that they have their own resonance. So yes, I do believe that creatures of legend can be soul animals. I've encountered people with them. Interestingly enough, there's a town about an hour from here inland, and there's at least three dragons that live there. Um, <laughs> Cause you're walking like, in you're like, Oh, I can feel this shit. Yeah. So like yeah. that was interesting to me. I'm like, but there's something that that town obviously needs with those people who carry that signature. Right. Um, so yes, that's one. And then creatures, uh, who are extinct, extinct animals who are extinct also have come through. So, um, you know, I've worked with people whose animals have recently become extinct and I've worked with people whose animals have been extinct for a long time. Um, 
you're like, which one? Have you ever met a T-Rex? I've met one dinosaur and it was an apatosaurus. <laughs> that was an, an interesting situation for me because I didn't know what I was hearing. And the way that it came through in my visualization was it was the Badlands where the dinosaur um, wow. footprints are like, you know, yeah. in, in the stone. And I kept seeing that and I kept hearing this strange noise. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. And wow. I kept seeing these footprints and I was like, could this be a dinosaur? And when that happened, I got like bits and pieces of, of movement and breathing. And I, then I looked at her and then I remembered when I was little, my dad took me to this museum and they had an apatosaurus skeleton. And I was like, that's you. So the question I asked her before I told her what she was, was, I'm going to ask the question. It sounds really macabre and dark, but like, bear with me. I said, do you feel like you should be here? And she looked at me and she goes, no, every day I wake up, I know I'm not supposed to be. Oh my God. And I said, are you okay? She goes, yeah, I'm okay. It's just bizarre. And I was like, can I ask you, have you met anybody like yourself yet? And she goes, I haven't. She's like, it's really hard for me to find me. She's like, I have friends who are always like, oh, yeah, this person's just like me. And this, she goes, it, I feel like I'm genuinely alone. And she's like, I know I'm not alone. Like, I have friends. I have connections. But I really, I don't get it when people say I've met my person. She's like, I struggle with that. So what are you doing right now? Because uh, in your bio, you talked about how you're compiling information for a maybe book. Yes. Uh, that is something that has been a long time coming. And actually the universe in true universe fashion is giving me the boot in certain places in my life right now. So I'm actually in the midst of becoming truly nomadic for a little bit. Um, the home that I'm in, long story short, is no longer available to me because they want to sell it. And so I'm taking this as a sign yes. from the universe to kind of just be on the road a little bit to gather more information. Um, and one of the things that I want to do while whilst I'm on the road is really make a dent in, in getting this book written. And the book, the whole premise behind it is interpersonal relationships utilizing my modality of like work. So brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> the working it's, title is don't date your food, but we'll see what, where that goes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's brilliant it, because again, it's, it's a, a deep dive into things that I don't think in our community, in the witchcraft and the pagan community, I don't think we have anything that's such, like you said, in the beginning of this interview, we have a handful of really great um, animal guidebooks, but they mm -hmm. don't go into this in-depth walking through your life, understanding these, uh, the, the way you communicate your personality traits, you know, what this means to this life and whatever the next life is. So yeah. I think that's freaking brilliant. Um, Fox, where can people find you online? If they want to book a reading, if they want to learn more about you or follow you on your travels. Oh, Instagram is the best place to follow me because it's a visual platform. So where you're going to find me is at the Fox lantern. Um, and then, yeah, there's a booking button on my bio there. You can always direct message me and I'd be happy to talk to you or answer any questions you have about soul animal work, shamanism, healing, whatever. I might have to book a reading because now I need to know what I am. <laughs> you know what you are. We talked about it a long time ago. I just don't think you remember. <laughs> well, I have an idea of what I think I was. No, you've been this. You've been this. I think I'm a rabbit. I've always you're, you're yep you're a checkered giant a checkered giant yes. I know I'm big I put on a little no uh, that's not what that's about that's not what I'm that's gonna about. look up checkered people, giant people starve themselves eating rabbits because there's no fat on them so you can't oh, say hey, that. hey. <laughs> she got she got long legs she hear everything <laughs> yes yes no yeah. um no, and that's about abundance. So it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that you are where you are. You know, it was only a matter of aligning to it. Once you did, everything came together. And look, you and I get along just fine. Yeah. You're the predator and I'm the prey. Yeah. And I adore you. I adore you too. And that's that's an indication of like where we're at too, you know? It's because I think that if if we were who we were maybe 25 years ago. 
30 years ago, if you and I met in like a high school situation, we probably wouldn't have gotten along because there would have been a lot of competition, Mm. you know, but I think that as, as we grow into our own sense of self, our own authenticity, you know, it, I think that that evolves and we can recognize in each other, solid foundational animals within an ecosystem. You know? Unbelievable. Fox, you're amazing. <laughs> I am so grateful you decided to say yes to my invitation to be yes, here. Yes, I'm so grateful you invited me. Are you kidding? You're this is amazing. Okay, so I we have to wrap up because I'm we're yes. over. We're over. <laughs> always with me. I'm always <laughs> over. Um but so uh um here's my last and final question. Yes. And I ask this to everyone who comes on the show. Okay. Uh if you could have me make you one magical meal, what would it be and why? Oh, mm. honestly, yes. my question to you in response would be, what's your favorite thing to cook? And I would want that. <laughs> it depends <laughs> on my mood. It depends on my mood, right? Because I'm very seasonal. I cook whatever's in season. And then I get on a kick where like, I get really excited about one particular thing. So like- is there something that comes to mind that you only ever had once or like your favorite meal or like, Oh my God, something like that. You know, you know what I would love to see your take on is a langoustine stew. I don't even know what that is. A langoustine, langoustine, like, like, yeah. um, like they're the, like, they're like, they're like mini, mini shrimps. lobsters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, so. like a langoustine, like, um, bisque. Yeah, kind of like that. Because in Iceland, there's a, a food truck by the Glacier Lagoon at Jokultsarlun that she makes some of the best langoustine stew I've ever had in my life. I went to one of their five-star or their four-star restaurants wow. in Iceland, and I didn't like it as much as this little food stru- truck is. But I love me. Like that, oh my gosh, just talking about it is like, oh, that would be really good. But I'd love to to see your take on it or rather taste your take on it. Because, yeah. Like a, like a bisque. Yes. Like a and then we, could, then we could have the bread with your oils. Like, dunk, oh, dunk, dunk. Yes. Um, um, yes. Yes. Making me hungry. Right. That sounds amazing. You are just delightful. I'm so happy we got to do this. Me it's too. Amazing to see your face. I'm just nice to you too. so thrilled with everything that you're doing. And it's just been absolutely fascinating to watch your journey, to learn Mm -hmm. about the work that you're doing. It's just incredible. Everyone go follow at the Fox Lantern. That's correct. On Instagram, follow her travels, get a fucking reading because she's amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. And until next time, everyone, I wish you so, so many blessings and much, much gratitude. 